0: All right, guys, well, since we're going over the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and the priestly uh, robes and all that, you know, I got a, a couple uh, really cool, like, pamphlets. They're not pamphlets. They're more than pamphlets, but they're really cool descriptive things. There's the, uh, there's the Ark of the Covenant, which I have a lot of, and I ordered the tabernacle, which are, are coming tomorrow, so I'll have those next week for you guys, but uh, you can—actually, Brand, can you hand these to the adults? Like... um yeah, it's just cool. It's, there's a lot of good information there, biblical stuff. And uh, so, yeah, she's handing those out. But we're in Exodus chapter 27 tonight. Exodus chapter 27. Continuing through Exodus. And uh, and again, we see the details concerning the tabernacle, the instructions God gave to Moses to relay to the craftsmen, right? And uh, God was specific. We've kind of gone over that. But why? Well, because the structure... Uh, or or tent of meeting is also called. This location was designed by God so his kids could worship him, so his children could worship him and enjoy his presence and offer sacrifices of atonement. It was a holy place. And you know what this shows us? Well, God designed the church. It wasn't man's invention, which is kind of the argument sometimes from unbelievers, but God designed this. This wasn't a carnal Endeavor. This was practical building, and it had many spiritual implications. And really, that's kind of what we've been looking at—the spiritual implications. And and the church was created by God and for God, you know. And and He just used His children to put it all together. And so, after all these years, the Lord is still holding it all together. God is holding you together as well, (laughs) and He's holding me together. And if it weren't for Him, we as broken vessels would just fall apart. God holds us together when we surrender. And to me, that looks like someone falling into another person's arms just with all their weight. You know, are your kids ever done that? Just like, oh, they're just all their weight is leaning on you. It's like a perpetual trust fall. It's like the Christian life, it's a perpetual trust fall. Lord, I trust you today. I'm falling upon you with all my weight. Carry me. But the tent of meeting, it was being built up to be at the center of the 12 tribes of Israel. And again, a picture of the Lord being the center of our lives. And uh, with that, can we put up a picture of the courtyard? I know I gave you a couple, but either one, picture of the courtyard. So what we're going to see today is the the basic structure of the bronze altar, uh, accessories for the altar. We're going to see the hangings for the perimeter of the courtyard, and the gates and everything, and details, uh, and we're going to see the oil and the, you know, for the lamps and for the lampstand. So we're going to see these things, we're going to describe them, what their uses were, and we're also going to talk about spiritual implications as well. So let's pray, and then we'll get into Exodus 27 tonight. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. We just thank you for this time just to meet together uh, in your name, Lord. And we just pray that you'd use your word, even in Exodus, Lord, to speak to our hearts and as a church, Lord. And just uh, we just thank you, Lord, you know exactly what we need to hear, Lord. We just pray that you'd use your word in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start. So verse 27, we'll show the, uh, a picture of the altar. Picture of the altar in verse twenty-seven or chapter 27, verse 1. You shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horn shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with pure bronze. So God said to make this altar, right? What was this altar for? Well, it was known as the killing place, right? Sounds like a scary movie. The killing place. The altar was the location where death and sacrifice actually happened, right? And so, and where atonement for sin was resulted. So the dimensions of this altar, which which um, was placed at the entrance of the sanctuary, was three yards square and a yard and a half in height. But under the wooden frame of the altar, it w- it was hollow on each corner, and it had horns or angular projections, perpendicular or, or oblique. And the animals that were to be sacrificed were bound to these horns, and part of the blood was applied to them. We're going to watch a short video at the end of this uh, teaching, and you guys will see. But a reference to these horns is Psalm 118, verse 27, which says, God is the Lord who has shown us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar." So at first, this was the only place of sacrifice for the Israelites. Let's, can we show a picture of the bloody horns? <laughs> bloody horns. Um, blood was smeared, basically, on the horns, like ceremonially. ceremonially. Uh, horns were thought to display strength and power, right? The strength and power of the Lord. But you fast forward a, a century and, and, and a half, and under the New Covenant, there was a, there was a different killing place. Right? Fast forward. And the place was the cross, right? And where Jesus' blood was spilled on the ground at the place of the skull, which is also called Golgotha or Calvary. If we could show a picture of that, Golgotha. And it's you see why it's called that? It looks like a skull. When I was in Israel, I saw it and I was like, Yeah, it looks like the place of the skull. You know, no one had really had to even tell us. You could see it. But I saw this location and it was just it was a powerful thing. And and Galatians two twenty says I have been crucified with, uh, with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So under the new covenant, it's uh, it's, thought, it's like laying down on the altar and surrendering like with our lives. And we can do this because the perfect lamb was slain. So since the altar was brilliantly covered in bronze, It could withstand the desert heat, practically speaking. They were in the wilderness, which was the desert. So the altar had smooth sides made or overlaid with bronze. Now, if you have some time, uh, check out number 16, and you'll see the rebellion of Korah. And this guy didn't like Moses' leadership and accused Moses of elevating, like himself, above the congregation or the people. Now, God didn't agree with that assessment, so he caused the ground to split, and Korah and his followers went into the earth. They were gone. They were goners. And here's what God commanded to happen. The priests were instructed to grab the incense censers that were ceremonially held by Korah and his guys and hammer them with force to cover the altar of burnt offering with them. So here's here's the thing. From this point forward, people would see the imperfect hammered bronze and remember Korah's rebellion and God's judgment. The point is that God will not be mocked, and, and the Lord's people are not to be falsely accused. And how, how I like to think about it is, in our today's vernacular, like, God's got my back. Like, He's, he's got us, right? He has got you. He's protecting you. He is with you. And so, well, let's continue on in verse 3. Continue on, and it says, also you shall make its pans to receive its ashes, and its shovels, and its basins, and its forks, and its fire pans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. You shall make a grate for it, a network of bronze, and on the network you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath. "...that the network may be midway up the altar, and you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. And the poles shall be put in the rings, and the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards as it was shown you on the mountain. So shall they make it." So a picture of the accessories here. So basically, here we see the accessories for the altar. Uh, So these things, these utensils were all used to prepare the offerings for the sacrifice. And they were also used in the maintenance of the altar. Each piece which was specifically made for the tabernacle or tent of meeting, they were made out of bronze and each piece was made to only be used in the tabernacle. And so even the utensils were set aside or set apart like for the Lord. And so let's look briefly at each piece, the pans, The pans, these were used to hold the ashes and the fat that were left over after the sacrifice. The basins, the basins were used to catch the blood of the animals that were sacrificed beside the altar when the blood was sprinkled at the altar's base. The forks, these were so the priests could grab the meat for themselves. And we know that because we looked at Hophni and Phineas, we looked at how they rebelled and how they were totally ungodly, even though they were priests. They took those forks, and they took whatever meat they wanted, so they rebelled. But the forks were to grab the meat. The firepans, these were used to carry it from the altar of insi- uh, incense inside the holy place, and you can find that in Leviticus and 1 Kings. And the grate uh, was the floor of the altar, and it was there so the burnt remains and the ashes fell down through it. As it says, the network of bronze. Uh, so, too, the great had the, had the rings and the poles which were used to, to carry the altar. But remember, God intended the tabernacle to, to manifest his presence among the people, they were to direct their devotion and their worship to him. Not to the tabernacle. They weren't to worship the structure. Even though the structure was a place to be set apart to worship God, they were not to to worship the structure or make much of the structure. They were to make much of God. So the people did not enter the tabernacle. Only the priests entered as God's servants. But the Israelites gathered in the court of the tabernacle. The altar was set up so they could bring their sacrifices to it. The priests would offer them up to God. And the altar was, was to sanctify uh, their gifts. And this whole thing was a picture of connection to God, communion with God, and worshiping God. And this whole arrangement, uh, this whole layout, it, it really it pointed to Jesus. And so let's look at the pattern in verse 8. The brazen altar was a type of Christ dying to make atonement for our sins. Christ sacrificed himself for his church as as their altar, if you will. John 17, 9, Jesus said, And for their sakes I sanctified myself that they also may be sanctified through the truth. So we are sanctified, we're made clean through and because of the truth. So now he describes the courtyard and the gate in verse 9. The courtyard and the gate he says, You shall make the court of the tabernacle for the south side. There shall be hangings in the court made of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long for one side, and its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets shall be bronze, the hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be silver. Likewise, along the length of the north side, there shall be hangings 100 cubits long, with its 20 pillars and their 20 sockets of bronze, and the hooks of the pillars and their bands of silver. Verse 12, and along the width of the court of the west side shall be hangings of 50 cubits with their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets, and the width of the court on the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hangings on one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their pillars and their three sockets, and on the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits with the three pillars and the three sockets. Verse 16, for the gate of the court there shall be a screen 20 cubits long "'Woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen made by a weaver, "'it shall have four pillars and four sockets, "'and all the pillars around the court shall have bands of silver, "'their hooks shall be of silver, and their sockets of bronze. "'The length of the court shall be one hundred cubits, the width fifty throughout, "'and the height five cubits made of fine woven linen and its sockets of bronze. "'And the utensils of the tabernacle for all its service, all its pegs, "'and the pegs of the court shall be of bronze.' So the hangings for the perimeter of the courtyard, and again, after this, we'll see a video of the whole thing, but so the fence, which was white, cordoned off the courtyard, and it was the size of 150 feet by 70 feet, 75 feet. And so the tent took up about uh, 7% of the courtyard area, the tent did. Um, one commentator named Kaiser, he says, the fence had a fourfold purpose. Number one, it was a barrier that stopped that stopped unlawful approach number two it kept out wild animals number three the fence it was a a symbol of the distinction between the world and god's holy place and the fence with its one gate it was a way to approach god And uh, was Jesus, uh, just conjecture on my part, just thinking about these things, was Jesus thinking of this when he said, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life? I don't know. (laughs) But maybe he was. The tabernacle was long and narrow. And so this fence was supported or held up by bronze pillars. And the pillars were almost uh, eight feet high. Each pillar had a bronze base with a silver top piece and silver hooks for hanging linen on. And verse 16, that this court here was a type of the church enclosed and distinguished from the rest of the world right cuz a church shouldn't be look exactly like the world or else it's not the church <laughs> it's got to be distinct and so the enclosure was supported by pillars denoting the stability of the church as well it was hung with clean linen and symbolizing the righteousness of the saints Revelation 19.8 says, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So these were the courts that David desired to be in and in which people of God entered with thanksgiving. You know, when you look at the Bible, you've got to put it into cultural context as well. You're not like, well, this, this totally goes with my American society. No, we've got to look at the culture back then. And so when David was writing these psalms about the courts, this is what he was talking about. This is what he was picturing. He wasn't picturing a lobby, you know, with, with you know Keurig's. You know like coffee and stuff with snacks. No, he was picturing the courts here at the tabernacle. Psalm 8, let me just give you a couple of references. Psalm 84:10 says, "For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness." Psalm 100, verse 4 says, "Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise." Be thankful to him and bless his name. So back in this day, the court, this court would only have a a group of worshipers. Yet over time and with the gospel going out, you know, many know and walk with with God and and the church is flourishing. You know, it's growing. People still getting saved to this day. Hence why Jesus is tearing. So the gate was on the east side and the same side as the gate to the tent of the tabernacle. Same side. It was woven from four colors used for the uh, weavings uh, of the tabernacle. There was only one gate and the courtyard, but it was big. It was about it was 30 feet wide. And again, remember, the courts were where the people gathered to worship and praise God. Psalm 84, 2 says, My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Psalm 92.13 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. I think I read that. Psalm 96 six eight, Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. So now under the new covenant, we don't have to stop at the court, if you will, because Jesus finished the work and took the punishment, so we get to go right into the holy presence of God. That's why I'm so thankful to be to live in this day and age, and age, you know. Yes, it's dark. Yes, it's horrible out there in the world. At the same time, we know the whole story and we get, have access to the Lord through Christ. It's amazing. Also, the tabernacle was essentially like one giant tent, right? It was a reminder that God came to his children to be the center of their hearts and affections. And again, this was to remind the children of Israel that God went with them as they Traveled or or sojourned through the desert. So, the last two verses, guys, verse 20 and 21 says, And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light, to cause the lamp to burn continually. In the tabernacle of meeting, outside the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening until morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to their generations on behalf of the children of Israel. So the oil for the lamps and the lampstands. So we read about the candlestick in the 25th chapter, also called lamps. Uh, So the oil for the lamps on the lampstand were the only source of illumination in the tabernacle. So the lights came from oil which was made from olives, pressed olives, not beaten. The practical application to this is in Second Corinthians 4.8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. So, in other words, the Lord rightly uses those times where we are hard-pressed for His glory. Biblically, oil is a picture, a symbol of the Holy Spirit, so the illustration is only the light bearers can fulfill their function only by the Holy Spirit. See, the ministers and the priests, they were the elected ones who had to take care of the lamps. One of their major tasks or jobs right? that, that Aaron and his sons had to do was trim the wicks and that make sure that there was enough oil. So the lamps or the candles remained burning as long as the tabernacle was set up. And so we can only be on fire, if you will, for the Lord if we are continually led and filled and guided by the Holy Spirit and being trimmed or refined by Him as well. So let's see just a few practical points here from these verses. Number one, serve God. (laughs) Just serve God. You know, like the priests, we as ambassadors of Jesus, we get to serve Him. It's not a burden, it's a blessing. It's such a privilege to serve the Lord in any way. In church and out of church, just in, with our lives. Number two, be filled and led by the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit to do the work God calls us to do. We are led by Him. We can't do it without Him. Number three, let God trim or let God refine. Like the wicks were trimmed, God wants to trim those things in our lives, and our hearts that are not of Him, those compromises, those little little liberties that we've let go too far that need to be trimmed. Let God do that work.